Welcome, everybody, to High Times Presents Free Hash, Free Weed, episode number 85. Yeah, if everyone is, if anyone is concerned that they might be in the wrong place, we assure you, <laughs> this is still Free Weed, but it's also the third episode of Free Hash. Yes. And just a note on that, one is lost forever. We did the, we did the one Free Hash in the studio, and then we did a live Free Hash on the road and couldn't record it. Right. And then this was the third. Right. So it's actually the second one you're hearing. Yes. Unless you, Unless you were there. <laughs> Unless you yeah. follow us around. That's right. And uh, yeah, we're excited. It's a panel from the Cow Palace that we're going to be talking about. Um, it was called Laws of Extraction, and it was a panel um, about concentrates. But before we get into that, um, let's talk about Boston Freedom Rally. Yeah, you had an eventful uh, weekend. You went up to your, your native land <laughs> and were uh, welcomed as a conquering hero. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far, but and it was really an amazing... You sold magazines? Yeah, we sold magazines. We gave out a lot of flyers for the Jamaica Cup uh, and basically just met up with a bunch of people in the industry, a bunch of uh, people in the area that were just you know excited about uh, Boston Freedom Rally. Yeah, what, was it, what was it like? What was the vibe up there? It was awesome. It was really awesome. It's a two-day event now. Um, this was the second year that I think they... Maybe the third that they've done it over Saturday and Sunday. Um, two different stages, tons of great speakers. Um, we brought Lester Grinspoon, Dr. Lester Grinspoon out, and uh, he hung out on Saturday in the High Times uh, normal booth, um, made a speech and everything, which was great because he's uh, definitely a hero of the movement, a hero of mine, um, and, uh, you know, very exciting to have him there. And, yeah, just a ton of great speakers. Um, met up with a lot of good people, uh, a lot of people who came by the booth to say hi, a lot of free weed fans. Which was cool. It's always I was, nice. Yeah, I had a grip of stickers with me, and I was anytime anyone mentioned the podcast, I give them a couple of uh, free weed stickers and stuff. So that was really cool. And there was it's quite an incentive when when someone says they know free weed, you hand them <laughs> something from your pocket. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. It's and nice. then uh, yeah, I made a couple. I uh, made a couple speeches both days, so a total of uh, four uh, four speeches from the stage where we talked about you know different stuff regarding legalization and marijuana and and free weed and Jamaica cannabis cup and all that stuff. So what do you think the uh, attendance was? How many people would you guess were there? Uh, It's hard to say. I mean, it seemed to me like 40 to 50,000 people. So it's a big event. It was a big event, lots of booths, big crowd right there in the middle of Boston common. I mean, you know, hallowed ground where the revolutionary war uh, began and where people fought and died for freedom. So it was exciting to do the freedom rally as usual, like right there. Um, where revolutions were were fomented, <laughs> you know, really cool stuff. And yeah. you know, like you said, I'm I'm from there, uh, grew up in Boston, so it's always great to go back. I used to go to that event uh, long before I ever worked for High Times or was a part of the industry. I used to attend the event, so it's just nice to go back and and uh, see all my friends and family and uh, you know celebrate cannabis. What? Uh, how many Boston Freedom Rallies is this? Do you know? I believe it was the 26th. 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 Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. So, and I've been Almost to Almost the good same as the Cannabis Cup, just a few years behind. That's right. Maybe a year or two behind. And I've been to a, a, a large amount of them, you know, definitely more than a dozen, or probably close to 20. So, you know, that was, uh, that was great, and it was wonderful to be out there. And, uh, you know, shout out to Mass Can Normal. Um, definitely, if you're a Massachusetts resident, support Bay State Repeal in 2016. That's going to legalize marijuana. Uh, for recreational use, and it's a very, uh, very open law with lots of, uh, you know, lots of freedoms for people who happen to be marijuana consumers, and sure. growers, and producers, and all of that. So, all that. All right. Very cool. Thank you for uh, for fighting for our pot freedom up there in Boston, and uh, very <laughs> cool that you got to hang out with uh, with Lester Grinspoon. He yeah. is he is truly a, a very unique and uh, 
amazing guy. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, is... we'll have to get him on the show sometime soon again. We've again, been on yes. before, but right. we'll have to get him on again. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's jump right into uh, to this free hash seminar that you gave out in Northern California at the Cow Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we do, why don't you give us a little idea of who is on this panel and what ground you cover? Absolutely. Uh, it was called Laws of Extraction, and uh, as you said, it was at the Cow Palace at our NorCal Cannabis Cup uh, just a couple of months ago. Um, it was a great panel. First time for me doing a, a uh, uh, extraction panel instead of a cultivation panel. So, you know, uh, that was exciting for me as well. And we had some great guests. We had JJ from Fresh Off the Buds, uh, Rezwan who, uh, from Seedless, who's also a lawyer specializing in concentrate uh, law. Uh, Rick Frommer, who is the former uh, purchaser uh, for Harborside Health Center and now, uh, you know, uh, in the cannabis industry as a freelancer and doing a bunch of interesting stuff that he just talks about. Um, Addison DeMora from Steep Hill Labs, who we've had before, of course, uh, talking about concentrates and and all of that. And uh, Kay from Tricom Technologies, also a uh, multiple-time free weed guest and here guesting on free hash, which... Um, I think people enjoyed. Uh, so, yeah, I guess without any further ado, let's take you to the Cow Palace for the free hash seminar that we did there with our panel. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, thank you for coming to our 3 o'clock seminar. And it is a live recording of free hash from Danny Danko. Free hash. <laughs> Welcome, you guys. Thank nothing, you so much. Nothing for that. Free hash. This is only the third free hash. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And this yeah. is my first live concentrate panel that I've done. Uh, usually we have Bobby doing it, but he was at uh, Lester Grinspoon's son, David Grinspoon's wedding this weekend. So uh, I'm taking, a, I'm taking a, a stab at it. <laughs> so be gentle. And right. he's the one that came up with the name Laws of Extraction. I like that. Laws That's pretty good. of extraction. All right. So uh, if you guys uh, have questions for this panel, um, keep them towards the end. We'll do a little Q&A. But since we're running a little short on time, let's just get right into it. Uh, Dan will introduce you to this panel. But first, let me introduce to you the senior cultivation editor for High Times Magazine. Please give a big hand to Danny Danko. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming out uh, th- to the legendary Cow Palace. This place has uh, got a lot of history, and we want to thank them and uh, their staff. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the panel here. Uh, to my left is JJ from Fresh Off the Buds Extractions, uh, a very knowledgeable uh, person in the concentrate game. So uh, thank you, JJ. <laughs> And to his left, uh, Rez, Rezwan from Seedless, but also a lawyer specializing in a lot of the uh, legal aspects of the concentrate world. And he's going to tell us a lot about uh, um, the legalities of making concentrates and that sort of thing. So thank you, Rez. Uh, To his left, a very longtime activist, with Normal, with, of course, Harborside, and now on his own doing uh, consulting and, and uh, a lot of stuff, but a longtime activist with Jack Herrer and with, uh, like I said, Normal. And, of course, he was the buyer for many, many years at Harborside, which is, you know, we're honoring Stevie D here at the uh, Cup, but he's the guy who chooses what concentrates and what flowers actually get chosen. And so we want to welcome... Rick Frommer. And to his left, uh, Addison DeMora of Steep Hill Labs. He's a co-founder of uh, one of the premier laboratories that does all, a lot of the testing on concentrates. And he's also well-versed in all of the different types of concentrates. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, the testing of them and also the different varieties that are out there. So thank you, Addison. And uh, to Addison's left is a, an absolute pioneer in cannabis, whether it be growing it, uh, 
the science of it, the extraction of the concentrates and oils, the separation of the concentrates and oils into individual terpenes, THC, and all kinds of things. That, uh, a lot of the greatest gardens you've ever seen in high times, even going back uh, to the 80s, uh, long before people were going big, Kay was growing big with Trichome Technologies, so I want to welcome Kay from Trichome Technologies. Uh, all right, well, we're going to get right into it. Um, any discussion of concentrates, particularly uh, when you're using gases that are explosive, um, butane and butane and hexane and all of these things, uh, safety is of the most importance, and too many... Uh, newspaper headlines and too many people are being injured and it really is a bad look so safety is the most important thing um, you know people are doing these things indoors and posting it on YouTube and stuff it's very irresponsible so before you even begin to think about using butane to extract concentrates from cannabis you have to understand how dangerous it is and how to mitigate those dangers. So um, I think, I guess, you know, maybe start with Kay from Trichome and basically just explain uh, the importance of uh, being cautious and, and what that entails. Well, that, that's kind of the beauty of the legalization that I see coming about in Colorado is now that we have had some standards to adhere to, we've got some compliance issues that, you know, there, there's a, if you want a license to produce a MIPS permit in Colorado, you must adhere to certain procedures and protocols. And that's, that's uh, I spoke with someone from the Canadian government, and they were looking to, say, legalize marijuana, but they wanted to outlaw extract production. And I said, well, basically what you've done is you've legalized stem cells, but you've made it illegal to replicate stem, stem cells. So you've pretty much stifled the development of the industry. And, and, and that's kind of sort of what I see happening here. I mean, in California, you have a lot of uh, people doing anything you, they want, indoors, blowing up, bad press, this, that, the other thing. You see less of it in states that have actual regulations because the regulated facilities end up making a product that actually goes to the shelf because the dispensary can only buy from a product that's produced from a regulated facility. So if the pot's produced reg and regulated and the extract is regulated, the point of sale is regulated, it's hard to sell your product if you're making it in your basement after that. So I mean, that, that's kind of the, the thing that, the most exciting thing to me is, is seeing the actual true regulations. And, you know, now we have procedures and protocols that we're legally bound to adhere to. And res is a big part in making those things happen. All right. Um, well, let's backtrack just a little bit um, in case someone doesn't understand, um, you know, what we're talking about, the using hydrocarbons and stuff. Um, you know, what we're talking about is the essential oil of the cannabis plant contained within the trichome. And there are various ways, of course, of concentrating it. The long-time hashish production for thousands of years uh, has been dry sift and pressing with heat and things like that, uh, running through the fields and scraping it off of your skin and the charis and all of that. Um, but what we're also kind of talking about in particular is using a solvent to extract and then purging that solvent out using heat, low heat and vacuum pressure. So uh, maybe Addison, can you uh, basically give an outline of, of what, what's contained within that essential oil and why, um, you know, what's the difference between, let's say, a terpene, a flavonoid and a cannabinoid? Ooh. That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> Keep it close. Yeah. There's, um, there's, there's active compounds that are in cannabis. So I guess you're probably talking about actives, non-actives, all the stuff that THC gets you high, that's psychoactive. Uh, terpenes aren't psychoactive, but they do prime the receptors that can kind of tell you what, what kind of high you're going to get. Uh, or, not, I mean, the, the, the receptors in your body help you understand what types of cannabis you like. Um, so that's what terpenes are sort of directing you in that direction. Um, the active compounds are kind of what makes everything go. Um, but yeah, I'm not a scientist, so you're asking me scientist questions, but this is just stuff that other people have told me, so it may be, uh, uh, it is correct though. Well, as far as essential oil uh, extraction, 
Um, what do you guys at Steep Hill know about uh, that? And, and, I mean, you guys test for parts per million of uh, solvents? Yeah. And, and what, Resi- what do you... Residual testing. Right. Uh, what do you find is, like, maybe, like, average uh, PPM of residuals? There really is no average. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if, if you look at... Uh, it's, the long, it's the big, long question, you know? If you look at lighting a joint... You're consuming 800 to 1,200 parts per million just lighting a joint, just sucking it through the, the joint itself. Um, so what's acceptable? I mean, it's, to me, what, what burns your throat, like all those different things, uh, that's, some people have that, that, that meter and they say, okay, this tastes good or this doesn't taste good. What's acceptable is probably somewhere in the range of uh, upwards of 5,000 parts per million, I think is what some places have set, you know, that's... That's what they say is acceptable, and that's um, you can have 40,000 parts per million of exposure in an eight-hour t- day, and the FDA says that that's okay, you know, when it comes to butane. So it's, butane's not this demon that everyone thinks it is. It's actually a really useful solvent to do a lot with. You can uh, heat things and fire things up and make light and do all kinds of stuff with it, but when they start using a, a, a product that's made for making a flame in a torch... To, to do the extractions, you start getting into all kinds of different solvents that might be in there because they harvest those gases from the ground based on temperature. Um, and they ju- it's just made to make a, a flame really nice, not to do an extraction. So, um, But most of that stuff, when it comes to making that product safe after the extraction, I mean, the safest way to do it is to do it so that you don't blow yourself up. I mean, that's the safest way to do it. You know, So you've got to be like, hey, let's not kill ourselves. Because if you blow yourself up, you can't enjoy cannabis anymore because you're dead. So... <laughs> That runs into problems at that point. So, wow. Um, but anyway, I think I've answered your question at this point. So. Yeah, Arez, you had I, I was, something. I was going to say Addison's exactly right. I mean, when you ask the question, what's acceptable? I mean, what's acceptable for you in the normal day, you know, consumption of other things that you ingest? I mean, you know, they're foods that you buy, regardless of where you're buying them. I mean, you're putting a lot of shit in your body. The FDA says that, and Addison hit the number on the target. It's five thousand ppm's that they allow for uh, consumable goods. And what we've seen in legal markets and the testing that's come back from Colorado in, in the last year is something more in the range of 300 to 600 ppms in extracts. And so, I mean, you, you have people that are focusing on what might be a policy to such an extent that they might be going a little bit above and beyond in terms of protecting because they're focusing on it. Um, not to say that we haven't seen some, you know, 30, 40 year long-term effect of, oh, no shit, my lungs are crystallizing. I don't know. Because I'm not going to you know, be one of those guys that stands up here and then later on is like sticking my foot in my mouth. Um, only time will tell. But as far as what, we, you know, if, if we were comparing it to just other things that we allow in our body, uh, we're well below any levels where it would even matter. The, uh, Colorado, if I'm correct, uses 500 parts per million as mm-hmm. the state. Six, 600 parts per million? JJ was saying six right now. Initially, they said three. So they, it's been a sliding scale. So the, and yeah. Washington, is, Washington State is only 50 parts per million. In the Bay Area, a lot of the dispensaries that I've worked with, and, and Harborside, for instance, uses 500 ppms as, the, as their cutoff amount. The, the, the one thing that's a little misleading about the consumption of butane is there isn't a lot of evidence on uh, consumption of sm- like smoking butane, actually like inhaling it deeply into your lungs. And that's the area where it's really impossible with only 10 years or so of, of using these substances to really know what the long-term safety effects, if any, are going to be. So, I mean, obviously the lower the better for sure. Yeah, but the thing is this. If you have a gram of something and it only has 50 parts per million in that entire gram, then, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. It's, it's If you look at FDA-level stuff, and we're talking about exposure to butane. So in terms of, you know, saying that it's not inhaling butane, that is inhaling butane because you have exposure to butane. So if a guy works in a butane factory, he can have 40,000. It's, it's a ridiculous amount that the person, and the FDA says that, that that's acceptable. So that's not me. Right. Well, yeah, the FDA is <laughs> made to protect you, Rick. Like, that's uh, who's J- here to save your JJ, life. JJ, what about in Colorado that you were mentioning it's 600? Yes. And- so in Colorado, they've said it, it's 600. And uh, basically, uh, if it doesn't pass, um, you have a second chance, and then they had, they'll destroy the product. Uh, so, you know, that uh, as a concentrate maker, I feel like that might lead to a lot of uh, people maybe adulterating products to make sure that they'll pass the market. Um, 
you know, that, that could happen as well. I don't really know how the regulation is set up there. Uh, here in California, there is no regulation. Um, like he was saying over there, uh, 500 parts per million is what most of the Bay Area dispensaries. Uh, we work a lot with Harborside and BPG, and that's their cutoff. Uh, we typically are at zero. Uh, some of the shatters can be around 100 or so, maybe 150. Um, but really, under 300 should be an acceptable level. Um, really, you can hit zero every time um, if you know what you're doing and you, and you get it done right. Um, referring to safety as well, uh, everything should be done uh, either in a class one, division two environment or outside. Um, there's really no in between there. Uh, a class one, division two room is set up not just with a lot of airflow, but the proper, uh, sorry, a proper amount of airflow. Uh, it has to be circulating through the room right because butane is heavy and will sink to the floor. Um, so just a couple things there. Um, yeah, I suspect a lot of this is going to be answered a lot sooner than most people like. I was brought in last week to a meeting into a laboratory, and it's run by a company that does all the uh, analytical testing for all your herbs and spices. And they started a company like five years ago when nobody was mandating this kind of regulation or, or standards. There was nothing. So, you know, you had a Ginkoba or something like that was selling a fraudulent product and stuff. They do DNA testing. Yeah, they, not, not, not Kraton, but, but like a Ginkoba product that was all contaminated. And the uh -huh. things that were supposed to be in there weren't in there and stuff like that. And these people are eyeing this industry going, hey, we already work with the FDA. We already have these set procedures, protocols, and regulations. There are acceptable allowances of everything by the mm -hmm. FDA, rat feces and everything else. So everything <laughs> right. in between. You know what I mean? So, well, uh, let's hope our next dab doesn't have a lot of rat feces in it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> your, your government says there's an acceptable allowance acceptable, level. Acceptable, yeah. But, but, but I can tell you, I, I've been to people that are actually looking at this industry to regulate this industry because... You know, they, they, they see profit in it, you know? Right. Hey, you guys, sorry to interrupt, but I know um, you're learning all about extractions. Now, you know extractions and concentrates are only as good as the flowers that you make them from, and that's a very important thing to know. Uh, and... If you're just going to make your flowers, you should check out BC Northern Lights. They've been with us for a long time, uh, one of our faithful sponsors. We're very excited to always have them and their support. They make incredible grow boxes from scratch up in Canada. Everything is amazing. The uh, touchscreen technology, the hydroponic stuff, everything's automated. It just looks like a storage locker. It's really amazing. And then once you get inside, it's the height of sophistication and technology. Um, all of them made specifically for cannabis production. Uh, there's a, one for every kind of option that you might have, including one of my favorites for people who are just getting started, the roommate. You can grow four plants in there, uh, no odor, all very simple, all very automated and exciting from our friends at BC Northern Lights. So please check them out at bcnorthernlights.com or give them a call for a quote on a price. Uh, call them at 888-236-1266. That's 888-236-1266. Tell them Free Weed from Danny Danko sent you. And now, back to our panel. Um, now, Rick, I wanted to ask you, as a longtime uh, buyer, um, uh, one of the interesting things you told me years ago is how much... Uh, product you ended up rejecting, something like 80 to 90% at times uh, of things that vendors would bring in. Um, but as a, as a buyer of concentrates, um, what, are, what are the things you're looking for in a product um, you know, that you're going to purchase and then you know, sell to patients um, at, at a dispensary? Well, let me just say first, there's been you know, light years of advancement in the last four years or so when, when the vacuum ovens really started to come into the mix. Um, before vacuum purging became the norm, there was a lot of really horrific concentrates sold uh, all in the Bay and L.A. And, and all over the place. So at that point, all buyers really had to run on was, uh, there isn't before residual testing too. So really the only thing we could run on was our noses basically. You know? And your nose is a pretty powerful indicator of something. There was even samples in, in the stuff I was judging this time that I didn't smoke because I didn't like the way they smelled. You know, and I didn't have the residual thing. So traditionally, nose was uh, the important thing. Nowadays, um, with the advent of Steep Hill and other labs doing residual testing, a dispensary is not going to intake anything that they haven't had tested first. So they'll take, take a quantity in, take a sample, send that to the lab, and then if the residuals come back, acceptable. 
Um, but, you know, your nose knows at the end of the day with something. If something seems off to you, there's a better than even chance that it is off, and, and it's not something that you want to consume. And, I mean, Kenny will probably agree on this. As, as much as I encourage people to want to be able to make their own concentrates or their own uh, things, you are dealing with a lot of really uh, explosive dangerous gases in, in this industry. And it's something that with, with so many professionals doing such a good job nowadays, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm increasingly leaning towards just encouraging people to not experiment with butane. Yeah, and uh, really you should be using uh, research or instrument grade light, uh, grade light hydrocarbons. So you can get these at a gas supplier. Um, and you shouldn't be using canned butane. I mean, canned butane, you really don't know where the source is coming from. And uh, Addison touched on this earlier. The process of refining that is basically... Uh, uh, distillation, so they're just taking off fractions as they go, and really the cans are probably taking off a much bigger slice than you're getting when you're getting, you know, 99.5 or 99.9 grade uh, butane or propane or isobutane, whatever hydrocarbons you're preferred by you. Um, and you really want to know where your gas comes from. So you get a certificate of analysis when you go to one of these gas suppliers, um, and you know that's what you should be using a closed loop system. Uh, yeah, that's about it. And I've seen recently an uh, interesting development of, you know, rosin technique where, you know, if you're not willing to invest the time and effort and, you know, expense to purchase the right equipment, and you were talking about the ovens, I think we have Kenny to thank for, uh, you know, bringing that, you know, to the fruition of the industry. Uh, but if you don't, if you can't buy the, you know, $3,500 oven or the, uh, $10,000 closed loop system, you can just buy a $15 Revlon, Revlon. Uh, you know, hair straight hair flattener, stick a nug in there with some parchment paper, squeeze it real tight, right? And make a couple of dabs out of a, a, a nice nugget. And, uh, you know, it's not you really, I've seen some very unsanitary foot labs for making uh, <laughs> resin. I saw one spot. It was the glass. It was actually a really famous glass place, like a, a, a gallery. And they were in the back blowing glass. And then when you looked down on the ground, there was just parchment paper and a, like four or five of those uh, hair straighteners. And they would just stomp on it a couple times. And then they would pull it up and then rip dabs off of it. So it could be very <laughs> unsanitary. I wouldn't do it that way if I were you. I think if, if you have an overabundance of bud and you want a nice, cheap, uh, way to make yourself a little, little or dab. cold water. The nicest rosin I've seen recently has been coming from like medium cold water or dry sift keef. Uh, I mean, I'm seeing absolutely phenomenal rosin. So you're talking about ice water extracted hash that's been dried and then pressed and then, and then in yeah, parchment the paper. There, there's guys I, in Colorado lately, that have. Where, where's Tony at? He, oh, he would, he there, would make us some right now. We have a non-solvent category. In the cup, of course, as you guys they know, sh- they have and shirt presses every two months. Every two months, right? We do a cup now. now. It changes and it gets better. That category, and I mean, it, now you have stuff that's in that category that is approaching the level of the way a really amazing piece of shatter or you know butter would would be. I'm glad you touched on that. See, people have been making hash for as long as people have been smoking weed. I mean, this is this is the truth. And with the new resurgence in popularity, specifically with the whole dab culture in the last few years, everybody's been focusing on hydrocarbon extractions, whether it's a butane or most recently the propane ones or whatever else, right? But the comeback of the non-solvent and, and a lot of what we've been seeing lately has been, has been really, I mean, awesome for all of us to see because it just shows the complete full circle in the technology and then sometimes just leaving the technology at the door. And, and going back to the basics and saying, all right, I'm starting with a good product. I'm, I'm, I'm going to run it fresh. I'm going to do it solventless. And then, um, I mean, last, last night, I, I had the pleasure of smoking this. Uh, it was a terp, just a terp profile extract off of uh, a DNA lemon skunk that Tony V did, Tony from UCAN, and then with another non-solvent that he did and put together. And it was one of the most amazing dabs that I've had in, in a really long time. And, and, it, and it's, again, refreshing to see that, that it's coming full circle. Right. But people should understand the drawback of that is that your yield is typically much oh, yeah. less than you would get with a solvent. Just grow more weed. Grow more weed. <laughs> I like that. And there's another thing, too. Though. Listen, <laughs> you're, also, you're also giving up potency because you can sit there and watch kids rip Rosen dabs, and they'll rip a whole entire slab of dabs. As opposed to a half, a third of that slab if it was BHO. 
would wipe the whole room out. So, well, well, speaking so as speaking as a lab a lab guy, I mean, I mean you're talking I mean, about sixty percent versus eighty percent. No, you're talking you're talking water hash is like forty up to fifty eight sixty, and then BHO crams in at fifty eight all the way up into the seventies. So you're talking seven hundred. 720 milligrams, 780 milligrams per gram, compared to half of that, sometimes it's half. And that's, right. I mean, I love Rosen. It's, it's tasty. It's fun. Woo! But, <laughs> I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to not be able, I'm trying to, like, get really high. And that's, and BHO gets you really high. Like, that's. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. And really I fast, feel like. Like, super fast. I feel I like most high. people can see both sides. And, and the idea as Rez said, that there's been Im- such improvement in, uh, in the non-solvent world is, is a great thing. And, you know, it may not ever be as strong as, uh, you know, a butane-extracted dab, but the fact that it was made without solvents and that, you know, the dangers were just basically maybe a little bit of frostbite. <laughs> if you're using your hand to to stir the uh, I mean, ice a water, good concentrate maker, there's no danger. So that's right, right. Well, you if know. you follow regulations, so that's that's what I wanted to ask Rez about um, because your expertise is from the legal side of things, and I wanted to just find out uh, what's what's your perspective legally on what's going on. Legally, the all right. So you, earlier, you started you started the panel by explaining that the danger in a hydrocarbon extraction is, is essentially cast a cloud over the, the idea of concentrates, of doing dabs. The, the do-it-yourself-at-home explosions and all the rest have really um, even further confused the issue that's already a hot-button issue in many states, which is the medicinal-slash-recreational, and then if we've already gone that far, how do we regulate it? Um, everybody seems to agree on one thing, and it's that they feel that uh, extraction process can be very dangerous. It can be, uh, at, in some instances, deadly, and that it carries a lot of the most negative stigma. Um, not to mention, I mean, walking into somebody's living room and seeing a, a torch, it's, it's really, a, it's kind of cracky looking. And so at, at some point, um, and, as, and, you know, and speaking from somebody who loves smoking dabs, like every once in a while you're liable to catch a hot one from like a nail or, or from something. And then when you get burn scars, you have to ask yourself, do I have a drug problem? I have burn scars from my dab. So it, these, are the types, these are the types of things that lawmakers and legislators hear and think about when they start really, you know, not passing laws or passing shitty laws. And as a result, we have a, a really interesting landscape across the United States where in California, for example, where we were the first to decriminalize in 96, um, we're still the ones without any comprehensive legislation on the books to even provide for how this should be done and allow people to have a kind of a, a set of standards or compliance. Rather, we have a, a random little patchwork of case law that that exists and creative prosecutors have essentially been prosecuting in California under antiquated methamphetamine and PCP production laws, the 11379.6. Oh, yeah, it's so shitty. So essentially, if you make, you make hash, you're going to get a felony for the production of hash using a, a chemical you know, extraction process. Where in December, you actually were finally able to get protection under MMJ laws. And that's just California. And you have this other like, weird shit, like in Mississippi, where anything under a .01 of a gram is a misdemeanor, but anything over .01 of a gram is a felony. And if you think about that, an automatic felony with time, and a .01 of a gram is less than the reclaim in your rig. Right now. Right now. I mean, it's, it's pretty interesting. Where right next door in Georgia, they just passed a law saying that you can have up to 20 ounces of oil in here in Georgia. Like, wow, are you kidding me? Like, it's, I mean, as you cross from state to state, uh, you have either some states that are adamant that, you know, they, that they need to, to protect and further the science of, of cannabis extraction especially because they understand that with the cannabis extraction, you're able to eliminate a lot of the fungus, the mold, the bacteria that otherwise would be found in plant matter, and you can regimen a more precise dose for people that actually need medicine. And so the, there, on some hand, you have people that are willing to do that, and then you have like, other people that just watched the Sanjay Gupta special like in Texas, and they're only going to allow oil for epilepsy 
Not for AIDS, not for cancer, not for glaucoma, not for anything else, but just for epilepsy. So as far as the laws go, it's a complete shit show. Uh, you need to absolutely educate yourself. Um, I know that in California, as many of you are here, like I said, it's illegal to make it, but you can now carry it, and you can smoke it, and you can have it, uh, personal use, and you get the same protection under the California MMJ laws, Compassionate Use Act, 215, and all the rest. If you're not from California, just research your laws. All right. Um, JJ, I want to ask you, because you're working in Colorado uh, under a regulated system, right? Oh, no, oh California. I'm sorry. But uh, take me t- through the process um, for Fresh Off the Bud, uh, what, what you can talk about as far as um, how concentrates are made for, for Fresh Off the Bud. I mean, so uh, what we specialize is in our uh, light hydrocarbon ex- extracts, so butane, propane, isobutane, things like that. And uh, what we've been really trying to do over the last year and a half or so is really uh, figure out what the correct uh, ratios of these gases are as it pertains to an extraction, um, you know, and that varies by product you have. So we've been really, you know, keeping a vast index of that, um, tracking that, and so now we have kind of specific uh, extractions that we do for different products uh, and that we believe creates the best product. And uh, we've been able to get uh, pretty much everything down to zero PPMs, uh, you know, maybe a couple hundred uh, at certain times. Um, but that's really uh, what we've been focused on. Uh, as it pertains to light hydrocarbon extracts, uh, if you don't really know anything about extraction, basically uh, butane, propane, isobutane are nonpolar solvents. Uh, cannabinoids, terpenes, and such are nonpolar. Um, so you're basically stripping those of the cannabis uh, material and then recovering said solvent in a system back into your tank. And uh, one thing I want to mention that's really important, uh, whatever gas you get needs to be distilled. Um, there are things in the gas uh, that you can refine out. Uh, and when you are doing such distillation, really pay attention to the boiling points of uh, what you're trying to get out. So let's say you're boiling off N-butane during a distillation. Uh, N-butane's boiling point is uh, around 33 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe. Um, so you want to keep your tank just above 33 so you boil off butane, but you leave behind everything else. Because I know a lot of people that are doing distillations and they're boiling off their tank at 90 degrees Fahrenheit, and that does nothing. You're boiling off the same things that you're trying to leave behind. Um, so there's a lot of things in the extraction process that uh, really, you know, do your research, um, be safe, um, and in a professional environment. If you don't have the funds to purchase such equipment, you know, maybe go find somebody that you can work for and learn. Um, but, you know, really be safe. Uh, it's all about being safe. And uh, hopefully soon in California we'll have some decent regulation uh, certified laboratories, um, but until then, it's kind of uh, the market's a complete gray area. You have everything from your backyard blast to your made in a class one division two room, and there's really no way to prove either way because there's no regulation. Um, and you, oh, sorry. go ahead. Um, you know, I wanted to, to back up what Rez and what JJ were both saying, you know, and, and Danny also. It's really important in California as we're moving into 2016 with the legalization initiative that the voices of the professional butane and, and other uh, hydrocarbon extractors are heard in that thing. I go to a lot of these meetings and I'm not really seeing that many people um, from this community being represented in that process. And if you all want to continue to have and, and hopefully go forward and have a regulated market that allows for the production of these things, um, you should make sure that you're, uh, you know, being represented in, in that the political process that's happening right now. Yes. And uh, um, Addison? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, here in California, uh, the one thing that Rezwan, myself, a couple other guys have gotten together, and, and it's a slow process, but we actually have made some progress on it, is putting together SIRSA, which is uh, the California Concentrate Extraction a Research and Science Association. The idea was to create a name that was so long and technical that it, anybody who heard it would be like, there's no way that these guys are stoners and they're not going to blow anyone up at all. Um, but Rezwan, Rezwan and Michael actually picked the name, but it's a very technical name, but, it, but the reason for it is that it really, it's a broad name that allows people to kind of understand that you're not, just, you're not just playing around with science. You're actually making things that are medical products that people are going to consume, and there's a lot of safety and a lot of protocols that have to be in place uh, in order to produce those products. So the idea is to create a group uh, that first talks to the concentrate makers themselves, works with the concentrate makers to create um, standards for production, working also with uh, companies that are making the extraction equipment, and then using that information to then create those standards, 
And then once the, the producers can agree on those standards, then going to the collectives and talking with them about uh, adopting these standards and then creating a protocol where, you know, they're not going to purchase concentrates that aren't done in this certain way and created by, in this way because it does protect patients. And then that way those collectives will attract patients that want to buy products that are in, in that group and under that umbrella. So in a nutshell, that's what Sursa is. Uh, Reswan, myself, and Michael have been putting it together. And Reswan's an attorney, so I'll let him talk more about well, the, the important thing really is, and it's, and it's for the industry, it's for the people, um, it's, it's because of the issue specifically with extraction, the laws of extraction, uh, the, the real implications health-wise for patients and for the public. Uh, it's important that we put people from our industry in a position to regulate and, and drive what the progress is going to look like, what compliance standards are going to look like before they put suits from Sacramento in the position to do that who don't know anything about what this community is really about, what we do, what our practices are. And especially, I mean, we're, we're grateful to have Addison on board uh, to help us lead up the project with his background with Steep Hill and what he brings to the table in terms of testing and the ability to understand what that's going to look like. Thank you so much. Um, and Addison, uh, he had mentioned the California Extraction Research and Science Association. We made it broad. Because extraction sciences aren't just dabs. Extraction sciences are going to be the next level of what we put into edibles, topicals, uh, just really, any, beside, aside from medical application, it's, going to, it's just going to change everything. We have a, a product here. It's a water-soluble CBD. And this water-soluble CBD can be measured and administered to a sick patient in an exact dosage in such a way that we are going to be able, with technology like this, with the type of, of innovation that people like Kenny bring to this industry, we're going to be able to bring products that are going to help people, that are, that are, going, to, that are going to break negative stigmas and help combat 80 years of marijuana prohibition in this country so that we can really see the full potential of Cannabis extraction sciences, not dabs, not. Hey, once again, uh, sorry for the interruption, but in order to get great concentrates, you need great plants. And in order to grow great plants, you need great seeds. So I'm uh, very excited to, to say that we have Gorilla Seed Bank back with us as a sponsor. Um, that's G-O-R-I-L-L-A Seed Bank. Uh, you can check them out at gorilla-cannabis-seeds.co.uk. They've been around for a while. They've got tons of seeds from all the major seed banks. Uh, everything you'd need, feminized, autoflowering, regular high CBD strains, strains which are, people are very excited about. Uh, especially medical patients and people who are looking for that sort of thing. Uh, again, like I said, they've been around, so uh, they're not fly-by-night people. You can contact them. You can give them a call. You can send them emails. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, all that stuff. So please uh, check them out. And they have special deals. Um, as always, they have special deals, but they have another one just for us. So if you use the promo code SWITCHER, S-W-I-T-C-H-E-R. You're going to get a bunch of free seeds with your order. Free Incredible Bulk Auto. That's an auto-flowering strain. Uh, free Samsara Flash Babylon. Free Blueberry Twist. Amazing flavored strain right there. And uh, also some free collection papers. So this is in addition to all their other free seed deals and all kinds of money discounts that they have available online at their website. So please check them out. Gorilla Seed Bank at gorilla-cannabis-seeds.co.uk. Check them out and get with the gorilla. Now back to the panel. Um, as I walk around outside in the medicating area, uh, a lot of people are talking about terps, terps, terps. I wanted Kenny, uh, Kay from Tricom to basically tell us a little bit about uh, the importance of terpenes and also uh, isolation and extraction of terpenes with regards to making a cannabis extraction. 
Can, uh, can you give him? Yep, he's got a bite. Well, in a nutshell, the ter- uh, terpenes are the classification terpenes. Uh, cannabinoids are also classified as terpenes, but the, the, the terpenes we're really pre- referring to right now are responsible for the smell and flavor of cannabis. And, you know, traditionally those things have been very, very, very hard to capture and isolate. You, you can, anybody can go and put them into a steam distillation, but as the Handbook of Essential Oil says, that those end up being c- classified technically as artifacts because some of the chemicals, when they're applied to heat or water or steam, end up converting, changing, or just fleeting, evaporating, if you will. But let's say that even before that, that's dealing with dried cannabis. Just that simple act of, of, of drying the cannabis, you lose 40% to 60% of the terpenes just in the act of drying it. That's why out here you'll see some of the fresh frozen extracts, if you want to call it, or live resin, as they're calling it. Uh, either one. It's done by, by fresh freezing the product and extracting the terpenes in their whole composition as opposed to their destroyed composition or the artifacts of drying. So that's what terpenes are. So the, 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 the terpenes, as it's been said, uh, uh, cause some people call it an entourage effect, some people call it a synergistic effect. But as Addison and a couple other gentlemen up here explained, that you, you, you could ingest pure THC. It's not that pleasant. It's really not going to give you the effect that you really, really think it will or desire. It's got to have a, a terpene profile and, 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 and a whole terpene profile, not just 30 terpenes that the, some of the companies take and buy 30 terpenes off the Internet. They reformulate them, they put them back in a vape pen oil and think that that's the true flavor and smell of cannabis. It's not. There's hundreds of smell, uh, flavors or chemicals that are responsible for the flavor and smell of cannabis. There's over 350 chemicals that make up the flavor and smell of a, a, a strawberry. You know, if I, if I put all 350 chemicals on the table, you could probably not reproduce the smell of a strawberry very easily. I, I, I've got uh, terpene samples that are in one of the most techni- te- technological laboratories on the face of the earth right now, just trying to get a 100% quantitative analysis for some of the compositions that I have. There, there's, you know, labs can give you a 20, 30 plus terpene profile, but they can't give you hundreds of terpenes profiles because they don't really have the standards or standards access to. So, that's basically where, you know, where the terpene thing is, and then isolating them, what do you do with them? I mean, I, I feel that you know, you know, a certain segment of the population is being cured by, say, uh, 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 juicing. You know, that, that's one chemical composition, as opposed to, a, say, a Rick Simpson's Phoenix Tears decarboxylated version is a whole different compound. Those compounds are complete. They're, they're both cannabis derived, but 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 they're completely different. But but those two segments are are are, are swearing that these things are are, are of benefit to them. Let's say, but but I suspect if you gave the Rick Simpson oil to the juicer and vice versa, they 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 wouldn't experience the same relief, if you will. So so everything's very very complex. But in the future, we will be able to separate the cannabinoids, the terpenoids, and then apply them as we want them for for whether it's, you know, uh, recreational use or pharmaceutical use. And, you know, uh, that brings me to one subject is, you know, watching, Re- to, to, to someone like me watching what Res did, that was fucking magic. You know, I don't know if the people out there appreciate what it took to make that, that, that sticky resin water-soluble and be able to absorb into a water like that. And for him to be able to include that in almost any product that you can possibly think of, from your morning coffee to your energy drink, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and getting back down to that, sorry to parry it, kind of sort of what we touched on in Los Angeles is, you know, lately I sit around and read patents. And, and, and this industry, you know, maybe they have their, their vision of, hey, someday I'm going to have this edible product. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about the active ingredient in that edible product. Where are you getting that? And it's like, oh, well, I'm going to get it from CO2 extractions. We're talking extractions, hydrocarbon extractions. There's many forms of extractions. Extractions have been occurring in some form or another for a thousand years. So let's say that you took your dried marijuana or wet marijuana and ground it up to a four to six uh, millimeter particulate size. You either decarboxylated or you did not decarboxylate. You put it into a CO2, go subcritical or supercritical. You extract, winterize, then you rotovape. You have just violated GW Pharmaceuticals' patent. And they're not, either you're going to license that, that process from them or they're going to tell you, no, we've got a competing product and we're not going to license that technology to you. So, I mean, there is a lot of pigeonholes in this industry that people don't realize that are out there. The Chinese have filed over 300 patents on cannabis. You know, uh, compositions, formulations, everything else. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a unique opportunity for someone like Rez or anybody out here to come up with a unique and novel method or process and patent that technology and license it back to what we call 
big pharma. Right. You know, big pharma will only take this if we let them. But we right. can put stumbling blocks in front of them. We so can they control will the patents that they want and they then will, force they will. them to, to comply with our moralistic you know, regulation values. The moralistic, moral. the moralistic values that we have established for the past 50 years. Excellent. Uh, I think we're going to take some questions from the crowd. Uh, I'm also going to be signing books afterwards at the High Times booth, which is just on the other side of the room. Uh, if you guys are interested, I got some free weed stickers as well. Um, and uh, these guys are going to stick around. Also, Mike is going to go into the crowd and uh, ask for some questions. If you guys have any questions for the panel, um, particularly about concentrates and uh, extraction technology. I have one for Kay. Uh other than the cold trap, uh, is there anything you can use to help isolate or an additive like for a liquid to isolate the terpenes? Uh, I got a mystery email three days ago that said that a package is coming to me from across international next week. I don't know what it is, but I can only speculate. But I've been working on that product for three different years with three different teams. But can, I'm doing the best I can to, to, to get that out as soon as I possibly can. Can you, um, can you explain what a cold trap does? Uh, uh, cold trap is traditionally used just to capture solvents, basically. So it doesn't have anything to do with terpenes, or no, no, it doesn't doesn't have anything to okay. do with terpenes. Yeah. So it captures solvents during the process of extraction. Exactly, exactly. And, okay. But yeah, I'm, I'm seriously working on that product. But yeah, just just so you know, you understand that you're dealing with a from a, a 0.1 percent on a dry product to a 1 percent product on a wet uh, wet product, which is you know the availability of the terpenes. To get some of the bottles that I've had, it took hundreds of pounds to collect that 0.1% off dry product or 1% off a, a wet product. So for someone to think that they're going to take their 10-gram slab and have a big bottle of terpenes just is a total misconception. So, you know, that piece of equipment will be available, but it'll be for the large producer, so to speak. I mean, you know, because, again, it's hard to get, you know, a large amount off a small amount. So, but, yeah, I'm working very hard on that piece of equipment right now, and it I'm hoping that it'll be here in the next week or so. I'm very excited to see what's in the box. All right. I also want to just mention, I'd be remiss not to say this. I know uh, it's naive to think that people aren't going to be out there open blasting. Uh, just know how explosive this gas is. Even outdoors, it pools together. And the slightest thing, a spark from a cell phone, a shoelace rubbing up against uh, a piece of metal, anything can cause a spark that can cause a very... Uh, dangerous explosion. What do you got? Titanium so, shoelaces or something? Like, I, hey, look, crazy. sparks are everywhere. You know what I mean? And so just be very aware of that. It's not a fire. That it's an explosion. All right. Following Danko's uh, sparking shoelaces, we have a political question for the panel here. Hey guys, thanks for uh, thanks for doing the talk today. I really learned a lot. So I'm aware of uh, two bills that are currently um, in assembly and Senate in California right now. Uh, one says that there's going to be the ABC is going to regulate the cannabis industry, and the other says that there's going to be a new regulation board. Do you guys do you guys have any insight on which one of the assembly or senate bills is uh, is ahead, uh, and what that might mean for the regulations? Like, which ones should we be rooting for? Should we be rooting for the ABC, or we should we be res? I was going to say that's a quick, that okay so as far as far as the competing pieces of legislation I highly recommend that everybody actually reads what the language of a proposed initiative says before they vote. Because each of them, it's going to be a give and take. One of them might have some language that looks better for, uh, for blasting or for extraction sciences, and the other one might have language that is a little bit better for DUIs under the influence. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a toss-up. So just you have to educate yourself on that specifically. Um, make sure you do go out and vote. I will say that because everybody seems to be really interested in that and then doesn't doesn't go out there, thank you. Like, go, get out there, tell other people to. Um, we, we, we missed it by such a narrow margin last time, and I expect that we will make it this time, so be part of that historic move in California. We, have, we will be, this, the, the, the California, I, and I want everybody to appreciate that national, our, our, a national uh, initiative, something like a, on the scale of descheduling, hinges on California legalization. Because of the, the size of the econ economy in California, that is going to mean so much to what the rest of the country does. So it's really important that we all get out and vote. And that's, that's it. Yeah, and you know, Canada just in the last, I guess, week, yeah. just 
allowed for concentrates to be a part of the medical marijuana scene there, which is uh, definitely applaudable. It was their Supreme Court, so it's a federal decision. Mike? All right, another question over here. I wanted to see timeline for Sursa. As a producer, it's difficult to compete with somebody in their backyard to when you have a class one, division two lab. So really want to get behind whoever, if initiatives, you know, what, what, what can we expect from that organization? So uh, we, as Addison said, it's been a slow process. Uh, we've, we've, we've actually got the, the initial core of the group together and have started reaching out to individuals in the industry who we believe are best fit to play certain roles in the organization, um, respectively, whether it's from a testing standpoint, whether it's from uh, an operation standpoint, and, uh, and all of the rest. Uh, we've already quietly made some movement in terms of getting into the governor's ear, um, and we actually testified recently at a hearing that CCIA was able to get for us. We sent a representative um, on the behalf of SIRSA to testify, and we're really well received. So there's already been communication with legislators in the state of California on behalf of SIRSA to start to effectuate change so that we can start to get a handle on this before the legislators that don't know anything about how that's going to work out, you start to hit it. Uh, as far as creating a vehicle for individuals and organizations to support, we expect uh, within the next 90 days, we'll have something up and running, some type of, uh, you know, a website, a fund, something, and some type of uh, membership opportunity with a, with a tier of membership available to both individuals and organizations who want to not only support SIRSA, but get in on the ground level and, and and really build this strength in numbers as we move California forward into a legal and regulated market. All right. I just want to say in between questions here, uh, it's an honor to have Michael Aldrich and Michelle was here earlier, uh, two people who've been so instrumental for many, many decades in fighting for cannabis freedom. And it's an honor to have you here. And we wouldn't be here anywhere near where we are now without you. and they had a. <laughs> they're happy for new blood, and we we are honored uh, to be in their presence. And also, um, they had a marijuana magazine before High Times ever existed, and they had a marijuana law reform organization before Normal existed. So, <laughs> cheers to that. Thank you, Addison. You had something. Yeah, I was going to say, when Rez was talking, there's a lot of talk about initiatives. There's been a little talk about SIRSA. The idea behind SIRSA is to get together and figure out what initiative that we can then attach that understanding and the expertise to. So uh, just wanted to put that in there, too. All right. So unfortunately, we are running out of time. We have time for just one more question. We'll do that really quickly right here. I was just wondering how you uh, are planning on quantifying the dosage for extracts. Uh, in the future. I know that there's talk about doing a 10 milligram dosage for uh, edibles as kind of the standard. So 50 milligrams would be five doses, whatever. Since uh, concentrates are so different, is there kind of a quantity that you're looking at or to qualify? It just seems that 10 milligrams is is sort of the standard and then people can go up from there. And that seems to be what the easiest, I mean, self-titration, the the the, the way in which people understand how much they consume, which makes them comfortable. Um, it really depends upon making sure that it is in low doses so that you can kind of ramp it up from there. Any of the stuff that's on the table here is in 10 milligrams uh, per milliliter, you know, for the liquid and the other stuff. So um, that just sort of helps people be able to take baby steps into it. I mean, I don't know if you've ever eaten one of those like 1,000 milligram brownies and then had to speak or something after <laughs> Deca that. Dose. And you're fucking... Woo! Or like take a flight, you know, you're like, hey. wake up in the bathroom. Like you got to <laughs> make sure that you slowly into it. And the 10, mil- the 10 milligrams per milliliter or 10 milligrams per dose just helps keep that all under control and, and make sure people don't get crazy. All right, guys. Thank you very much. I uh, hope you guys learned something. If you have further questions, these guys are going to be here. I'm going to head over to the booth uh, and sign some books. Thank you very much. And... Uh, Hope you're enjoying the cup. It's almost 4.20. Thanks, guys. Hope you got some good information about concentrates and uh, 
how to make them and uh, what they are and all of that, the legal aspects of them as well. Um, we tried to touch on a little bit of everything for you guys. And uh, yeah, free hash. Very exciting. Yeah, only the third ever uh, free hash. That's right. Yeah. And we're hoping to do more for sure uh, in the future. So uh, thank you for bearing with us. Thank you for enjoying the episode and, and remaining here for the wrap. Uh, free weed, episode number 85, a.k.a. Free hash, episode number three. Uh, is finished. We wrapped it up with Raw, and I guess we should just put it in the books. 